You may be seated. We'll take your Bibles this evening and turn to Psalm 122. Ryan asked me before church if my hair was or my hearing was getting any better, and I thought he said, "Is my hair getting any better?" And so, no, my hair is not getting any better, and neither is my hearing. It's just the way life is for me right now. But I appreciated him asking. It meant everything to me. Well, we come to another study in the Psalms here on these Sunday evenings. We're going to complete the first of the triads. There's five triads of the 15 Psalms here in the Songs of Degrees that go from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And we noted that in the triads, there is trouble, followed by a psalm on trust, followed by a psalm on triumph. And so this one is going to go very well with the Sunday morning series on Joshua and victory. And so uh, you may hear some overlap this evening. That's okay. I once heard a preacher tell me, Kyle, you could really just preach all of the Bible every Sunday by saying, obey it. Uh, That's what the Bible is about, obedience to Almighty God. Uh, In the garden, all the way through the book of Revelation and the future kingdom that is to come, there is nothing but obedience that God wants from His people, from His creation. Well, let's read Psalm 122 together this evening, and then uh, I'll pray and we'll jump into the preaching of the Word of God. The Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren, in companion's sake, I will now say, Peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. Father, help us this evening as we come to this third psalm. In this sequence of 15, help us to see this song of degrees as it's drawing our heart ever nearer to you as we sung. We are thankful for the word that was made flesh, the word incarnate, Jesus Christ. It is that word that lifts us above the darkest night and the deepest sea. Bless us, I pray, this evening as we come to the truth, the word of God. May the principles that are taught by the psalmist that were real for worship in Jerusalem be practices in our lives as we seek to triumph over the troubles of life. Bless us in this hour, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The first triad is complete with this psalm. The writer of Psalm 120 and Psalm 121 
isn't the author of this psalm. He does not pin this one. This psalm is clearly a psalm of David. It says both in the title of it, but also you can find its uh, truth or its location in other parts of scripture, scripture, and it is assigned to David. The one, whoever, that is compiling these songs of degrees placed this psalm of David here on the heels of the two psalms that he either wrote pinned or had someone write for him of the troubles and the trust that he had. He found that there was already a good song for it. Have you ever found that true? Sometimes in our heart, we want to kind of cry out to the Lord our own prayer, but sometimes we find there's a much better prayer than we could ever word, and it's found in the Word of God. And that's what is true of this particular psalm. It expresses the resulting triumph for those who have placed their trust in God. The trouble of 120 from the deceitful and destructive tongue has been couched now within the trust that this psalmist has in the living God. The psalmist has built his trust on the believable truths given to him about God in Psalm 121. The result that we find here is gladness. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. The result of triumph over trouble is gladness, not gloominess. And buddy, we live in a world that is filled with misery and pain. There are downtrodden, gloomy people everywhere you look. Sometimes Christianity gets blamed for just being pie in the sky and it'll solve all your troubles. And may I suggest to you, a true trust in God will solve your troubles. That's okay to say that. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be trouble But God in His power, God in His person, and God in His presence solves those problems. Triumph in God is filled with joy and contentment, no matter your present circumstance. This particular psalm of David is likely recommended to King Hezekiah, who I believe is the one who compiled with Isaiah's help these 15 songs of degrees, to be added to his songs because of the nearness of, to God that David expresses in this psalm. It was the heart of what Hezekiah was feeling when God chased away Rabshakeh, the Assyrian captain who was cursing God outside the city gates, ready to destroy Jerusalem. By the way, when we find nearness to God, we will find triumph. That's where victory rests. That's where hope is. The psalm might have been written by David soon after the ark was moved up to Jerusalem and the tabernacle placed there with his intention to build the house of the Lord. Thus, the first and the last verses make sense as a song of David when the house of the Lord as the temple had yet to be built. But the tabernacle was the dwelling place of the Lord and it was moved to Jerusalem. David no doubt intended the song to encouraged the tribes of Israel to regard Jerusalem as the rallying center of the nation. Today, we would say that our local church is the place that we corporately can come into and hide within the presence of God. Oh yes, you can draw near to God through your own study of the Word of God, and you should. That's the power of the Word of God. 
But it's when we come together as a local assembly that we actually experience the multiplied presence of the Spirit of God. We see that power increase. It is true through the book of Acts. It is true for each of us as we gather Sunday after Sunday. And it's certainly true here of the psalmist. Triumph for him in the face of the trouble of a deceitful and destructive tongue from chapter or Psalm 120 is outside the gates. But he says here inside the city, there's safety. Inside, this is where God is for sure, because it's where God's people are. So this psalm completes our first triad. It does so in triumph because of first in our notes, the desire for wholeness. That means health. That means completeness. The place that the psalmist is driving towards here. His desire is to be with God, to literally be one in unity and in worship with God, surrounded by God's people. It is only God's presence, it is only, I should say, in God's presence that trouble and the troubled soul can be made whole. Those who would deny the need to meet corporately or come together and worship in a church that truly loves and is pursuing after God are lying to themselves and damaging themselves. It is good for us to come into the house of the Lord. The psalmist opens triumphantly here, stating that it is good to draw near to God, to come into His designated place of worship. The wholeness can be found in the little phrase, let us go up. It is collective. It is a group. In the first Psalm 120, he cries. It's all I, I, I. Not because he's selfish, but because he feels alone. And by the way, in our trouble, we do feel alone, don't we? In his trust, we noted in the first two verses, it was I and I. But then a teacher comes in and beginning in verses 3 through 8, he says, thy, thy, thy. There is another person who knows the word of God, who knows God, who begins to teach, begin to teach God and his presence to this seeker of God, this psalmist. And here the result is in 122, a psalm of David that he finds and sings and enjoys Let us collectively, the only way there's strength within the Christian walk is when you do the Christian life together. There is a wholeness to us. There's great strength in fellowship. There's great strength in companionship in our worship of God. You know, when we come together as a church, far too often we spend a lot of time talking about politics You know what? Politics has never solved a single problem in the world. One might argue politics has just caused all the problems in the world. Yet we come into church so often and we talk about who we're voting for. Well, who you're voting for doesn't matter. You should vote. And when we get closer to the election, I will teach from the Word of God why you should participate in your government. But it doesn't solve any of your troubles. Never has, never will. We talk about our money and our investments. We talk about our sports team, and I can tell you a lot of times they bring us nothing but trouble. But when we come into the house of God, it's okay to talk together as an us proposition of the successes. And yes, as we talked about this morning, even the failures that we have in our following of Almighty God. 
It's okay to talk about the things you enjoy from the book. It's okay to talk about the things that are, you are learning, the things that are new to you. Sometimes in church and in Christianity, as we desire a wholeness, we feel like we have to have this plastic fake front that I got everything together and I know everything about the Bible. Do you know that's why you come to church? It's why you open the book every day in your personal study so you can learn more about the Bible? The desire for wholeness or completeness is a great thing. And so we begin in the outline here underneath this wholeness with our delight. I was glad. When was the last time you said, something, said that about something? I was glad. Man, I am glad I came to church today. Amen. After this morning, you may not have been. I don't know. I may have been a little rough on you today. Tonight, I'm going to be a lot more positive for you. That's what a pastor does. Friend, if you will take your joy in life in being with God, being around His people, then you will actually find far fewer deceitful and destructive tongues in your life. The problem for Hezekiah is that trouble came to him. And if you really go and study the life of Hezekiah and the problems at that time, there was people in the city that said, hey, you know what, maybe we should listen to this guy, Rabshakeh, outside the fence. Maybe we should listen to what he says. Maybe we should just toss Hezekiah over, open the gates, and let him come in. But the more they stuck together and trusted in God together, the proof was in the pudding that there was strength in God through their fellowship with God. It was a delight that we find for the psalmist. You will know more about the truths taught about God giving to us what God gives to us in the final six verses of Psalm 121. There is something truly delightful in coming to the house of the Lord. Too often the Lord's people find it more of a chore, more of a duty than a delight to go into the place where God's people gather in His name around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come into this place, we make no bones about the fact that we come around the Bible, which is the living Word of God. The psalmist says, listen, I delight in getting together. I delight in my strength that I have in my faith in God, and I delight in coming together with you. May I submit to you, if you think about coming to church on Sunday... Different than, well, i got to put on my fancy clothes and get my teeth brushed and my hair combed and no matter how much we have of it. And I'm going to go off to church and impress somebody today. If you would rather come to church this way, thinking this way, I want to go with the truth of God in my heart, seeking to be blessed by God and His messenger today. Your Sundays will be vastly different. If you come into this place on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, whenever the Word of God is preached and say, I want to be here just to sit in God's presence, not Kyle's, not these other people's, but as a collective group, I want to come in here and say before God, I'm worshiping you. I love you. Boy, it'll change your approach to church. You might tell a few more people about why you love going to church and how they can hear the good news that you believe. The psalmist delighted to go into worship within the comp- with, I should say, the company of others. Hallelujah. Delight can be ours as we come together to worship God. The psalmist adjoins to, the, to this the fact of letter B, our determination. He says in verse 2, our feet, here it is collectively, there's no more isolation There's no more instruction from third party to first party as it is in 121. But here it's a collective effort. 
let us go up, our feet shall stand. Friend, that is commitment. That's determination. You want to triumph in this life over the troubles that come into it? Determine to live in God's very presence. Make that commitment. That's what Jerusalem represents in this psalm. Jerusalem represents the place where God came down to dwell. Oh, hallelujah, we understand from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God dwells within us the moment we ask Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. The Bible teaches us that in Romans chapter 8. Make no mistake about it. I'm not confused of the Old Testament and the New Testament and the dispensational ages in which God's stewardships have worked. What I'm simply saying to you, they looked to Jerusalem, they looked to a place where God's presence would be, it's the same way in which we look to God collectively saying, I want to be around and with people that love God as much as I do. That's where victory is. That's where triumph comes. They are singing of going up to worship in the very presence of God. The statement here is an emphatic statement. It's an emphatic statement that our feet shall Stand. We shall never be moved, one might say. We sang this evening, I asked, first time probably in about eight or nine years that I've asked for a song to be sung in church. We sang Nearer My God to Thee. It's one of my favorite hymns that can be sung. It's really great, and Zach didn't do it to you tonight, and you and I both might be thankful for this, but it's really great when the piano drops out, And the congregation, just with their voices singing, especially on that chorus, Nearer my God to Thee. There needs to be a determination in our hearts that we will be undeterred in drawing nearer to God every single day. The determined mindset of the psalmist here is that his feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. I will be where God is. We might say it this way, the nearer you are to God, the more like God you become. The further you are from God, the less you look like him, the less you act like him, the less you are like him. The psalmist gives to us our delight, he gives to us our determination in this concept of desired wholeness, but he gives us third, or letter C, our destiny. Our destiny. Jerusalem is is builded as a city that is compacted or unified together. That's not the end of the sentence. I've often taught those that study the Bible personally with me, And I've taught here in the church service as well. Always read the Bible in complete sentences. You catch the whole thought. It doesn't mean that verse number 3 isn't a great thought on its own, but verse 3 goes together with verse 4 because it's the sentence structure. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, whither or from whence to whence the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel." 
He is literally saying that Jerusalem as a city served as the pinnacle of God's glorious name. Can I suggest to you that's what the church is today? The local church assembly, our holiness, H-O-L-Y, and our wholeness, as we're talking about here, our destiny is that God would have the world look at us and say, that's what God is like. He said, look, this is whence, or this is whither, this is the purpose or to the intent that the tribes come up. The tribes had to come up once a year on the day of, uh, on the, on the day of uh, not Pentecost, I've got stuck in my head, the day of atonement, excuse me. They had to come up to worship. And as they would come up to worship, they were coming up to say, this is where we know for sure God's glorious name resides. The wholeness is not just individual health then, but it's also, are we corporately whole? Israel was destined to come into Jerusalem and is destined to come in again when Jesus Christ rules from that city. The psalmist is reminding them of this very truth here. By the way, David is the one that writes it, and when David wrote it, Jerusalem was pretty safe and secure. It's why Hezekiah says, I'd like to borrow that psalm because it teaches a great principle. The northern kingdoms had already been decimated by the Assyrians. And now the Assyrians are sitting right there on the doorstep running down God. If you remember from our first message, the trouble, Rabshakeh, the captain of the host of the Assyrians, had literally said, hey man, every other God and every other people group we've come up against, we kicked the tail of that little God and we're going to take care of yours as well in a very blasphemous tone. And Hezekiah and the men are standing behind the wall going, Well, they have been pretty successful. (laughs) I mean, they have conquered the known world around us. But the trust in 121 is in that God that he will deliver. And he does. And so when he does, Hezekiah says, I've got the perfect psalm. Jerusalem is a city compact, unified, stuck together. Because it's where God's testimony resides. We as a church would benefit greatly from understanding that everything we do in our individual lives is a testimony not just of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's true of a Christian. But it's true as you as a member of Bluegrass Baptist Church. My dad, when I was growing up, would always tell me this. He said, Kyle, especially when I went out to play sports, I was pretty good at soccer. And when I went out on the soccer field, he would say to me his last words usually every game because he knew I ran a little hot and I would probably get a little feisty with some of the other players. He would say, remember, Kyle, you're a Christian, you're a Fannin, and you are representing Fairfax Baptist Temple Academy, right? The church school of the church I was a member of. He would always tell me wherever I went, remember, you are representing those three things. You know what I do with my three sons? Every time they go somewhere on their own without mom and dad to a friend's house or somewhere, we will say to them, Drew, remember, you're a Christian, You're a fanon, and you represent Bluegrass Baptist Church wherever you go. Some of you have seen, I always like to wear like little shirts that have the church logo on them. Do you know what's hard to do with the church logo on it? Be a jerk at a restaurant. I mean, you can, but nobody's going to read the track after that. You say, is that the only reason you wear them? Well, it's part of the reason I wear them. I go like this, well, I can't believe, okay, you're right. It's all right, no, I love burned steak. Yeah, 
Over easy eggs when I ask for a scramble. Not a problem. I, I don't think that way. But the point is, we are his testimony. The tribes of the Lord under the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of of the Lord. Our whole reason for being, the victory that is ours in the middle of trouble, is that we still, in the midst of the trouble, trust God and magnify or lift up His name. You know, it is easy to lift up the name of God when everything's going well. It's not hard at all to be a good Christian when everything's going your way. But man, it's a different thing when there's trouble. And you still come to the place where you recognize your life is a living testimony of the faith in Jesus Christ that you have. It changes the way that you think, the way that you operate. Triumph is a place of wholeness that delights us, that we are determined to enter, and that we are destined for eternally. For the rest of our being, if we know Christ is our Savior, we will be in His presence, destined to be whole with Him. And that's why it's so important right now today that we are living testimonies of Him, those who give thanks. That's what triumph looks like. The psalmist then addresses within triumph, secondly, the desire for holiness. The first desire is to be complete and whole. The second is to be like God, to know Him, to know His very nature. What the psalmist does beginning in verse number 5 is he begins to lay out certain attributes or aspects of God that we ought to know, that we ought to be engaged in learning about. The desire here is for holiness. A good posture, by the way, to have before Almighty God is to be humble. Humility is a great approach when we come to God in all things that are holy. There is a real sense in verses 5 through 9 here of prayer and yearning, a request for awareness on our part and recognition from God to work. The writer, David, trusts God and knows that triumph comes as he makes his rest in God. David certainly knew that God was his protector, his rest. He saw it all through his life as King Saul was chasing, pursuing, and trying to kill him. When he became king himself, the Philistines coming against him, David understood the rest that was necessary, the humility of learning of who God was and trusting in him. This is what Hezekiah was learning, and this is why I believe he put this psalm as the answer to the trouble and trust. What is the payoff? What is the triumph? It is that we learn who God is. We know Him. Those seeking refuge from troubles, those who trust in God, long for a deeper knowledge of God, a deeper knowing of Him. And the psalmist David gives us three of these here. Letter A, it is a knowing of God's person. I argued with myself. That's kind of a weird place to be in. I don't know if you've ever done it. But I've argued with myself for about two weeks. You, you could also write here, knowing God's position, if you wanted to. <clears throat> because verse 5 talks about both of those things. I think it's actually more about his person. Here's what he says in verse number 5. For there, where is there? Jerusalem. For there 
are set thrones of judgment. Well, why did God set up Jerusalem as the place and seat of judgment? It's because what God, it's what God chose. In his person, he knew the fulfillment of prophecy that would come, that is even yet in our future, that the Messiah will reign from his throne in Jerusalem. And so what David, the psalmist David, is saying here, for there in Jerusalem are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house. Of David. All of those who would come from David. For the psalmist, it was there in Jerusalem where God's authority would sit, where it would rest. That was God's dwelling when worship was made. When Israel would come up, he would come down. In his very Shekinah glory, in his very person, he would come down and meet with them. The psalmist says, for there are set thrones of judgment, discernment, meted out judgment, we might say. It is from God that judgment of good and evil flows. It is from him. He is the ultimate arbiter of what is right and what is wrong. All of these are distinguished in His very character. That's why I say there was a desire here for holiness. There's a desire to be where God's throne and authority, where God's very person was. He trusted God completely. It is not just knowing of God's person. It is also, letter B, knowing of God's peace. Verses 6 through 9, I don't really distinguish and say point B goes with verses 6 and 7, as I often do when I go through Scripture, because it seems like over these four verses, there's a lot of interchange between what are points B and point C. I'll go ahead and give you point uh, C, if you all in the back could bounce back to this one and ju- as soon as I say it. But letter C, you can go ahead and fill in it. It's knowing God's prosperity. And what we find in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 is a back-and-forth prayer request session. And he's praying for both peace and prosperity. So as we come back here and look at knowing of God's peace, we understand, he says this, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Is that still in effect today, by the way? Yes, we should still pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Will there ever be lasting peace in Jerusalem? And the answer is, not until Jesus is sitting on the throne. Well, why am I praying for it? The answer is because the Bible tells us to. (laughs) Well, that seems counterintuitive. No, trusting God is never counterintuitive. It's just counter to your nature. (laughs) Trusting God is trusting God. He said to do it, we ought to do it. By the way, when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're also praying for our good. Because when peace is in Jerusalem, Jesus Christ is ruling. It means the rapture's already happened for us. We're glorified in our new bodies. And we got no problems, friend. All trouble's gone. That's the ultimate triumph. When we talk about peace, though, what is God's peace? Peace, I think we could define when it applies to God, is the tranquil state of being that God alone dwells in. If you want peace, you better dwell in the midst of and in the presence of Almighty God. 
His power is what assures His peace. That is true for Him, and as it pertains to us, it is equally true. The psalmist here is wanting God's peace to be very real and very much an active part of his life. I'm not too sure that a city in all of the world has ever not lived up to its name more than Jerusalem. (laughs) It is literally named the city of peace. And it's the one city in all of the world that has had the most inhospitable environment as long as it's existed. For a very little time has true peace ever existed in the city of Jerusalem. Yet, the psalmist says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Again, think of why Hezekiah would say this. Why Hezekiah would take David's psalm and say, this is it, man. I can tell you, as Isaiah probably brought this to Hezekiah and said, I think, friend, this might be the perfect psalm to go in your songs of degrees from Isaiah 38 when they're compiling these songs that would be sung of the victory over Rabshakeh. It's no doubt that Isaiah said, I got the perfect one for you. As a pastor, I can tell you there's sometimes that when I'm preparing a message, the Spirit of God or in the Spirit of God working with my spirit, understanding the Bible, there is a perfect verse. And you're like, man, that, 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 that is the verse. Man, God, thank you so much. That is the perfect passage. That's exactly what this psalm is in this triad, within this triplet, if you will, of psalms. Hezekiah would be quoting David here, trusting in the God of his forefather to bring about that peace that even David prayed for, that Hezekiah was praying for. Even if the enemy sat physically right outside the gate. I often wonder as Rabshakeh was sitting right outside the gate and the Assyrian horde was there, if they weren't pulling these psalms out, some of these that were already recorded, and just reading them aloud. Because there's no greater trust and triumph than coming back to the word of God and saying he'll take care of it. When we talk about God's peace, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible as it pertains to God's peace is in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20 and 21. The Bible says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That whole sentence starts out by saying, the God of peace. War with God, from the standpoint of our human race, was begun in Adam in the garden. When we think of the word peace, peace simply means that war is over. God is the God of peace. Only He can bring peace to the troubled heart and to a warring world. Is your soul troubled tonight? Trust God and find the triumph or the success and victory that comes with knowing God's person and knowing God's peace. For David, the peace came from being right 
before God as the penman of this particular psalm. For us, the peace comes from a righteousness that is in Jesus Christ. And the peace then from Christ is what he gives us. John 14 and verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace, Jesus says, I give unto you. Not as the world giveth. By the way, what does he mean when he says that? He means the world might guarantee or give you peace, but it can't guarantee you peace. Hey, you know what? We'll leave you alone for a little bit. Hey, you know what? You might be right in this situation. We'll, we'll lay off. We'll, we'll, we'll back off for just a moment. Give it a day, my friend. Give it a minute, as they say today, and they will be right back at your throat. Jesus said, I don't give you peace like the world gives. I give you lasting peace. I, he says, let not your heart be troubled Neither let it be afraid. That comes from a God of peace. Triumph over troubles demonstrates a knowledge of God's peace. It demonstrates a knowledge of God's person, the psalmist says. But finally, it is knowing of God's prosperity. Ah, I knew your inner Joel Olstein would come out. <laughs> prosperity gospel. But God is good and kind and benevolent. The prosperity that he talks about in these verses, listen to what he says. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee, that love Jerusalem. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions sake, I will now say, peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek peace. Thy good, speaking specifically of the city and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So we find the prosperity that draws us into the very character of God, the very holiness of who God is. It begins with a love for God and a love for His people. They shall prosper that love thee, Jerusalem. Those that love where God is prosper, he says. That's triumph. Hey, listen, it doesn't matter how many people lie about you and how many people are out there seeking your destruction from Psalm 120. If you will trust in him, Psalm 121, you will have the prosperity of knowing. You will have the benefit of knowing God's very presence in your life. That's the triumph. The second thing it does, it begins with love for God and his people, but it manifests in a quiet life. As a pastor, I often will watch how people interact and react to great tragedies. I never hope for great tragedies. I pray constantly that God would be a bulwark and a protection, but I also am aware that trouble will come. One of the things that as a pastor that I watch carefully is how we respond in the worst of times. Because it's then that you need a helping shepherd. You need an under-shepherd that will come alongside and say, we can do this. This is possible. It's it's not going to be easy, but but we can get through this together. What he says in verse number 7, he says, prosperity within thy palaces. He is saying within your life, within your dwelling, within the reach and the scope of your influence of life, that's your palace. He said, within that, if you have a desire for holiness with God, then God's going to give you quiet.
quietness. The word prosperity in the Hebrew here means a peaceful quietness in the inner man. Prosperity in the palace. Nobody, in other words, if we were to put it in the practical terms that David is likely meaning it, nobody was walking around the palaces going like this. Man, I, I wonder where the next paycheck is coming from. Because, buddy, I don't know. We've run out of camels. We don't have any more horses. There wasn't any of that going on because there was a prosperity. It doesn't mean health and wealth. It means there's a quietness of our soul within the influence and reach of our life. Is that your testimony? Within the scope and reach of your life, would people say, yeah, I think that person lives a quiet and peaceable life. That's the New Testament principle of this Old Testament lesson. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Oh man, that is hard to do today. Do you know what they are planning to do next? I want my governor to side with another governor, and we're going to send our military in, y'alls. We live in trouble sometimes. You say, Kyle, you always pick the one spot that is going to wrangle all of us and make us mad. We live in trouble sometimes. We need to have a quiet life. Right. And not an ostrich's life where we stick our head in the sand, <laughs> down we go. But a life that is quiet. You know, it's going to be real hard for some in this world to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ if every person who names the name of Jesus Christ is nothing but strident, angry, and as vitriolic as they are. I don't know if I agree with you on that one, Pastor. Instead of an amen, I might give you a amen. <laughs> it manifests in a quiet life. That's a sign of triumph. You're not greatly hot and bothered by too many things. But it flourishes, in verse 9, as we seek the good of all those who are seeking God. He says, because of the house of the Lord our God. So in other words, because the house of God is in Jerusalem, because that's where he comes down, because that's where I meet with him, because that's where I find him and where he finds me, because that's where it's at, I'm going to seek the good of all those that are making sure that place is well. It flourishes as we actively seek the good of those around us, especially those around us who are seeking God. You know, this psalm no longer sounds like a song of somebody in trouble. Isn't that how God works? Trouble? What are we going to do? We have a choice. Trust ourselves or trust God. We trust God. There's triumph. Trouble? Trust ourselves. More trouble. Trust ourselves, even more trouble. Trust ourselves, and you might as well sign off. But if we turn to trusting God, He will bring us into His very presence. If we desire wholeness and desire holiness or His very nature, we will be different people. He is a loving God. Excuse me, I should say the psalmist here is one who is loving God, loving God's people. 
The psalmist here has a life that is quiet and at peace with those around him. The psalmist here is an intent, has an intense desire to be blessed and to equally be a blessing to others. So in closing, evil people will seek to destroy us. Well, thanks for that, Pastor. I mean, I've been telling you now for three weeks. Next week, we start in on a new trouble. <laughs> Buckle up, buttercup. Life's full of trouble, but it means it's full of trust. It means it's full of triumph. Evil people will seek to destroy us. They will always be deceitfully lying about us, but we trust in God. This trust brings a wholeness of holiness into our lives, the psalmist says. This is what the psalmist wanted from God when he placed his trust in him. When he cried in Psalm 121, My help cometh from the Lord. And that's the only place I want to get my help from. Trouble caused him to trust. Trust brought about triumph. Oh, what a triplet, what a triad of psalms that God gives to us. Father, help us, I pray, as we close.